0: We were on part two called All About Relationships, and we were talking about the table of intimacy, our relationship with the Father, the table of communion, our relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ, the table of connection, where we sit with people in the world. And not talking about necessarily, we use the table at Restoration Church as an illustration. Um, You don't actually have to sit at a table with someone, but you're fostering a relationship, a connection. Jesus used a table in his day and age to sit with people to value them. Um, Ultimately, sitting at a table with someone was what you did. Now, it didn't value some of their behaviors, because as Gentiles, some of them were living in ways contrary to what God's hope for humanity is. But he showed value on them as a person. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. So we emphasize these ideas of relationship. And so we talked about how to be more constant at these tables. Uh, We don't actually get up from the table of intimacy. We sit at the table with the Father all day long, 24-7. And we learned about how to do that. The table of communion, the table of connection, how do we stay there? But then specifically in the month of June, we kind of unpacked those relationships a little more, talked about what it looks like to be a part of an actual local body of Christ. What has God called us to? What does that mean? Uh, we tied in some of the history of our church. We celebrated some of the things God did in our past. We highlighted some of the missionaries that have gone out from our church and pastors who now serve in ministry because of that. We highlighted, uh, if you remember, Selena Cipher, who by all intents and purposes is a pastor-shepherd person who is a, <clears throat> right now a stay-at-home mom with a special needs child who is just taking care of other kids Um, Because her friends need help. And that's what she does. And she came out of this church. And we talked about that because I believe as a church, you and I are connected to those who have gone before us, and they are connected to us. I believe in the kingdom of God, the reward system is tied together. Uh, they have gone before us and they've laid a foundation that you and I are standing upon and they are still being rewarded because of what we are doing based on what they've done. But I think that goes backwards too. I think because of our connection and our faithfulness to what's happening now, we actually get rewarded for what they did. I'm going to show you that later in the scripture, but I think that that's true. And so as we continue through the the month of July, we're going to be using this book, Draw the Circle. There's copies out there and we're going to talk more about this next week. Um, Starting July the 5th, we're going to do 40 days of prayer for needs in our own personal lives and even for us as a church. Where are we moving in our future? (coughs) And so today, as we kind of bring an end to what we've been talking about over the last couple weeks, I've titled this message, Giving Beyond Yourself. Giving Beyond Yourself. And when I talk about this word giving, I'm talking about more than money. Um, We don't just give money. We give time. We give energy. We give uh, our giftings. We give ourselves. When somebody is, when a single mom picks up the phone and calls one of us and says, hey, my babysitter bailed on me and I have to be at work in 15 minutes, And you respond to that, you're giving of yourselves to that other member of the body. Uh, Whenever someone says, Hey, there's a big tree down in my yard and I need some help, can you come and maybe help uh, take that thing down? And five or six guys show up and help take that tree down. That's the body of Christ in action. That's giving. And we want to grow in this idea of giving. Specifically today, we're going to talk about faith promises, giving to global outreach, giving to missions. But I don't want you to mistake the things that I say can be applied to any area, even though today we're going to specifically apply it to faith promises. One of the things I love about the Assemblies of God is the founding of our, our, our movement on the area of missions. And we do not send money to like our national office, and then they distribute it to all of the missionaries as they have need. Our missionaries travel from church to church, And they present what they're doing, and then each church chooses whether to support them or not support them. So a partnership gets created. So we pray for some of these missionaries that have come that we don't support financially because it's not just about giving financially, it's about a partnership. And sometimes connections are made where they have a need, and someone in our body has something that they could use, and then there's a connection. Or sometimes a missions trip connection gets made. And so there's so many things that happen as they begin to share their heart. It creates that partnership. We find it in Philippians chapter one, verses three through six, where the apostle Paul is writing to this church in Philippi that he helped to establish. And he says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So what Paul is saying is, the partnership is, it's not like the missionary gets a better reward than the people that stay and pray and give. Partnership means they can't do it without us, and we can't do it without them. It's a partnership. And in the kingdom of God, we work together. And so we have talked about that partnership and how we're tied to the past of Restoration Church. Today, we're going to expand that a little bit and talk about the the partnership we have with the Assemblies of God. I love our South Dakota Assemblies of God 605 family. I love them. We were struggling to find a female leader for our girls at camp. So on our Facebook group for youth pastors in the state, I just said, hey, we need a leader. Does anyone have any extras? Well, another church chimed in. We got a leader from, who lives in Salem, attends First Assembly of God in Sioux Falls, and she came to work with our girls. And I know that she was ministered to by the, the week at camp with them, and she, they were able to be at camp because of her. That's a partnership. I love that. When we broke down in Wall, I put a plea on the, the Facebook group and said, hey, Might not be able to get our kids to camp. Anybody got extra seats. Within 10 minutes, two people were ready to stop and pick up our kids and take them the rest of the way to camp so I could figure out what was wrong with the vehicle. But then another church that we didn't even know was going to stop stopped in Wall and had jumper cables. Partnership. I love it. And I know that God can move through people that we're not partners with, too. I've seen it happen, too. But I love the partnership that gets created through the Assemblies of God, because I believe we can do more together. And that's what we do. The Assemblies of God in 1914, in one of our first founding meetings, made this quote. This is a famous quote. If you've been in an Assembly of God church at all throughout your life, you've probably heard it at one point or another. It never gets old to me. I love this. As a council, we hereby express our gratitude to God for His great blessing upon the movement in the past. We are grateful to him for the results attending this forward movement, and we commit ourselves and the movement to him for the greatest evangelism that the world has ever seen. We pledge our hearty cooperation, prayers, and help to this end." In 1914, a couple hundred people began to meet and establish the Assemblies of God, which now is in 160 nations around the world, 384,000 churches, 58 million adherents. Working together to bring the message of Jesus Christ to people who have never heard it before. Missions has always been a part of our church, a part of the Assemblies of God. It's been a part of this church. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more in the service. But right now, we serve 35 global partners. That means you and I are partnered together with 35 different people around the world at a, at a price tag of $1,910 a month. Yeah, that's a lot of money that every month I have to stand up here and say, hey, remember to give to your faith promise. Hey, remember to give in the global outreach offering. Hey, because they rely upon that support to be able to do what they're doing. It's a partnership. And today, we're going to hear from Ben and Carly Loper. their newly appointed missionaries to French Polynesia. And they're going to talk about what God has called them to do. And then we're going to decide later as a leadership team what, whether we can take them on for financial support. But whether or not we take them on for financial support, I want you to remember who they are. I want you to pick up their prayer card that I have hidden up here somewhere. And I want you to remember to pray for them. I want you to put that on your fridge. I want you to lift them up. I want you to think about them. And even if we don't regularly partner with them, The Lord might move on your heart to send something to them every once in a while. And I bet they would say, praise God for that. And so I want you to hear what they have to say, what God has put in their hearts. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about giving and faith promises. But would you make them feel welcome again as they come back? Ben and Carly Loper.
1: Praise God. We are, uh, yes, we are brand new missionaries. Um, we are, we've a- actually never been to French Polynesia. We just know that the Lord said go. And uh, when the Lord says go, we say, okay. (laughs) Even if we don't understand all the ins and outs, uh, let me just quickly introduce our family. We've got our oldest Christian. He's 12, Zoe, who's 10, and then Micah, who's four, and, of course, my wife, Carly. Um, And uh, the Lord called us to be missionaries after we'd been at our church in Rapid City, South Dakota, and I'm going to let my wife share a little bit about that.
2: Sure. So real quick, too, it's Christian's half-birthday, His birthday is Christmas Day, and so, I don't know, Pastor, probably... So, yeah, when he said it was halfway to Christmas, we said, oh, happy half birthday to Christian. But, yeah, Ben and I were living in Rapid City. You know, we were um, just living life. Things were really good, actually. Um, We were the worship pastors at First Assembly there in Rapid City, and things were just nice. I don't know if you guys have ever got the chance to be at that point in life where you're just like, man, I like this. I remember, in fact, looking at Ben, and I've shared before, I told him, do you realize we wouldn't be doing anything different if we won the lottery because we weren't rich by any means. Things were just good. We wouldn't even have traded in our old minivan. We loved it. <laughs> we were homeschooling the kids. and um, But we started to feel this kind of what we look back on now and call a holy discontent, where we kind of just started thinking, man, is this what the Lord wants us to be doing right now? Should we continue on this? And why are we having these thoughts, first of all, you know? But then also, man, Jesus is coming back soon. Amen and there's people who've never even heard his name, and frankly, we're not okay with that. And are we doing everything that we're supposed to be doing here in Rapid City? And so we were kind of tumbling these things around in our thoughts and our hearts, and about this time also, the Lord was speaking to me about the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel, Mark sixteen fifteen. I kept seeing that everywhere. I kept hearing that everywhere, and I kept saying, yes, Lord, yeah. But those Action words were really weighing heavy on my my heart. The go and tell and share the good news with people. And man, I just thought there's something to that. That really weighs on us to do something. Those require action. And so I opened my Bible again one day to Mark sixteen fifteen, and I said, "Yes, Lord, make your mark." But I thought, man, there's something to that. So many people in this world want to make their mark. They want to leave a legacy. And you know, leave a name for themselves. And they've done amazing things. But I felt the Lord saying, no, I want you to make your mark in this world, but do it by making my name famous. Essentially, make your mark 1615. And so that's kind of where we landed, just like, yes, Lord, we're going to be missionaries wherever you have us, even if it's Rapid City, and we're going to make your name famous. And we're going to take this seriously, the Great Commission. So we kind of lived on mission in Rapid City, but we were still feeling this, um, kind of this this feeling, and we also saw the Lord kind of funneling some things in our life where we were becoming more and more available. And we just thought, man, are we supposed to be missionaries somewhere else? And to the point where I sat down one night and I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray. Where do you want us to be missionaries? And just say Rapid City so we can all move on with our lives. <laughs> but I sat down and prayed, and he didn't say Rapid City, To My surprise, he very clearly spoke to my heart about Tahiti.
1: So uh, Tahiti is the biggest island in French Polynesia. And uh, when my wife came to me and said, you know, I feel like the Lord spoke to me about Tahiti. I was like, what did you have to eat last night? <laughs> like, I mean, not really, I didn't say that. I'm a little bit wiser by now, but um, I did think that. So, like, This is normally when someone says that. But uh, um, So I was like, I don't know about that. That seems way out there, super random. So we just began praying about it, which is a good idea. And we just began to see the Lord drop little uh, confirmation after confirmation. I'm like, okay. And then Carly was talking about praying for the people of French Polynesia and just feeling overwhelmed, like God's... Like almost like God is overshadowing her as she's praying, and I'm like, okay, this is more than just us and an idea. So we began talking to the area director for this area in the world, and just began feeling like we need to bring our pastor in on this conversation. So we talked to Pastor Craig and Donna, and um, and you know we're just on this journey, and we get to our staff planning retreat where our pastor says, why don't you share with the staff that you feel called to go to the mission field? And we get there, and we're ready to share, and our pastor kind of surprises us. And he says, hey, before the Lopers share, we want the Molins to share. And the Mullins had been our youth pastors. I think they've already visited here before and shared their side of the story. But when Pastor Craig said the Mullins were going to share, I was like, uh-oh, they're going to have to move. They're leaving too. I knew it, you know, that kind of thought. And we uh, they began sharing almost word for word what we were about to share, that they felt called to this area of the world. They felt they were talking to the same area director we were. Neither of us had had the same missionary come to our church and say, hey, come to French Polynesia or Pacific Oceania. Instead, the Lord put it on our hearts separately called from the same staff, and so we were shocked and excited, all of those things. We went down to Springfield, Missouri and had our world missions interviews, and during that time, in one of those interviews, uh, they said, man, it seems right to us and the Holy Spirit to send you as a team. So we are going as a team with our good friends, the Mullins, who we, ser- we served on staff with for five years, and then also another family who felt called at this time to go to French Polynesia.
2: So, and don't feel bad if you don't remember from when the Mullins were here. If you have no idea where French Polynesia is, um, it's about 3,000 miles south of Hawaii. It's like, um, like Pastor Ben said, Tahiti is the biggest island. It's 118 islands actually, but yeah, Tahiti is the biggest island. So that's why you hear a lot about Tahiti when people are talking about French Polynesia. It's interesting, 40% of the population is under the age of 25, so it's like, a huge youth group, and the president of French Polynesia has actually asked the Assemblies of God there, what can the Assemblies of God do for our youth? Because they're just experiencing um, epidemic levels of suicide and rising drug use and just overall hopelessness, and they realize there's a huge problem that they need to be um, doing something about, and they have the, the president of the country has asked, you know, the Assemblies of God, so they have the idea that they need something beyond themselves, and man, do we have the answer or what? We're so excited that at this time, God has raised up a team. When we first started talking to Assemblies of God World Missions, they said, well, we don't have anyone there. We haven't had missionaries there for almost 20 years, and we don't want to send you by yourselves. But how good is God? He's raised up a team just all at once, all three families, and I know he's got bigger plans than just our three families, guys. He's got a huge plan for this area of the world. It's so exciting right now. It's so neat to see that God is so good. Sometimes we hear the phrase, the forgotten islands, when we're talking about this part of the world, because there's so many people and so many islands, but man, how good is our God? He has not forgotten these islands. He knows every person on every island, and he has a plan, and he wants you to be a part of that as well. So yeah, if you want to partner with us in any way, pray for us, pray for our team pray for the people the youth there and also the older people there too Um, we really feel like the lord is poised to move and change the trajectory of an entire generation
1: you know often when we say hey we feel called to tahiti we sometimes get people who shrug like oh i think the lord called me there too you know like like we're just going to go there on a vacation you know especially during the winter time it's like yeah i feel called there you know Um, but really man it's not paradise without jesus Amen. It doesn't matter where you go. If the Lord called you, he's the one who opens the door. Amen. And you know, I used to live in Hawaii, what we would consider a paradise. And I worked as a medical delivery driver there, delivering medical equipment for hospice patients. And man, I can tell you firsthand, there's needs wherever you go. And I remember on one particular occasion, I went to the home of a man who was on hospice and it was just he and his wife there at the house, and. I was there to deliver a hospital bed and some other equipment, and when I when I walked in their back door, I, I noticed that he had a guitar in the corner, and so I said, hey, I, I see that you have a guitar there, and when I mentioned the guitar, he was just lit up, excited, yeah, I have this guitar, but it's missing a string, and you know what, I realized I was there on the last delivery of the day, not chance, it wasn't chance. And I was like, you know what, why don't I finish what I'm doing here and I'll put strings on your guitar for you. And so I, I uh, set up the equipment, uh, I put strings on his guitar, and, and then afterwards I was like, hey, do you mind if I play a song? And I just played the first song that came to mind, which was How Great Thou Art. And I just began singing that. And as I started singing, I just felt like God's presence moved into the room. And man, what music could never do, God's spirit in that moment was doing. And, and the man just put his head down and he just began crying. And I just sang that song. And afterwards, uh, when I finished singing that, we both, he and his wife and I, we stood up in a circle and we just prayed that that place would be like a sanctuary where God's presence dwelt. And the, from what I understand, the man used to go to church and then he they stopped going to church. And this was like God in this moment was just bringing him back to himself. And you know what? After, after that moment, you know, some time went by and the man did pass away. But when I went back to the house to pick up the equipment, his wife told me that every person who came to the house after that experience, he told about that. That's, that's Jesus. That's a transformation that Jesus can make in lives. And you know what? We don't have any idea what open doors God has laid before us in, in French Polynesia. But we know that his spirit is able to open doors that no man can shut. Amen. God can minister to people, open doors. And, and I, I know without a doubt that God will have, will have stories to share about what God did in French Polynesia. We see God's hand in this, and we know that he's going to continue to do these wonderful things. I want to encourage you real quick that God has opened doors for you as well. And that missions isn't... We're, this room isn't just filled with one missionary family. This room is filled with a whole host of people that are called to be on mission for Christ to share the gospel in your workplace, wherever you go, that God has commissioned you as as a believer in Christ to share the good news. And I want to leave you with this. It says this in in 2 Corinthians 5.18. It says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through you, through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So I wanna encourage you. Don't just think that missions is only for those who feel called overseas. Realize that many of us may never be called overseas, but we are definitely called to go across the lawn to our neighbor or across the room to uh, to a coworker. The gospel is for each of us to be ambassadors of of the good news. Amen. So may the Lord bless you and may the Lord continue to help you guys to make an impact here and here on and beyond for the cause of Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. Pardon me.
0: All right. Well, I want to, if you have a Bible, I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, we've been talking so much the last couple of weeks about um, ministry in our community, all that God has called us to do here Restoration Church here in Huron. And today we're going to focus just for a few minutes specifically on what God has called us to do outside of Huron and from that border all the way around the world. And 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm going to actually start reading this in the NIV and then I'm going to shift in the middle to the New Living Translation. Uh, sometimes I think translations are just a bit wordy, and I, I want to make it a little bit easier to understand the concept so that I don't have to take a lot of time maybe later to unpack some of that. And so I have it on the screen, but you're more than welcome to follow along uh, in your Bible. Second Corinthians chapter 8, it says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. That's an interesting equation, isn't it? For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to also to us. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable, even, or excuse me, if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, all things will be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. I believe giving beyond ourselves is something we have to grow in. That's what the Apostle Paul says here. At Restoration Church, we believe in something called tithing where we give 10% of our income to the general account to take care of the normal expenses of our church. Salaries, bills, rent, all of the ministries, the curriculum. Those things aren't flashy. Um, In some churches, there's building upkeep that you have to give to. We, We right now don't have that. But people sometimes don't like to give to those things, but those things are important to the life of the church. So our partners... Give 10% of their income to those things. Now, is it required in the New Testament? You know, like the Apostle Paul, I don't know that anything is commanded to us in the realm of giving. But the question of whether or not this is from beginning to end in the Scripture. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham gave a tithe of his income. In Genesis chapter 28, Jacob gave a tithe of his income. That was before the law. And then when the law comes, God comes along and he validates that tithing and puts it into the law. Now, we don't have any command in the New Testament to keep giving tithe, but yet in Matthew chapter 23, the tithe is affirmed by Jesus as something we should keep doing. It is something that is good, but don't neglect the other matters of the law. And so the New Testament giving, whether or not tithe was commanded, the level of extreme generosity in the New Testament is without question. And so for us as a church, that's where we start. And then there are something we call offerings. And offerings go beyond our tithe. And so some people give offerings to the general account. Some people give offerings to global outreach, which is the faith promise that we're going to talk about. And some give to the help fund and other offerings that we take. Now, some people say, oh, the church talks about money too much. Did you know the Bible talks about money a lot? More about money than about hell. And yet nobody gets upset when we talk about hell in the church. Interesting. So the Apostle Paul, I believe in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, talks a lot about what we should do with our money. He says it in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak or those who have less. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. In Philippians chapter 4, he tells the church about their giving, and he says, not that I desire your gifts. Paul says, I've learned how to live whether I have a lot or little, but I want your giving to get credited to your account. And so whether or not you believe Paul's motives are pure or my motives are pure, I'm trying to keep them pure. And so I'm hoping to give us just a few ways to look at giving if we want to learn to give beyond ourselves. I believe God's called us to give beyond ourselves. But in order to do it, we have to see giving this way. Number one, we have to see giving as supernatural. We have to see giving as supernatural. It's a grace. It was a grace given to the Macedonian church. It's a grace that comes from God to us. He's the one that does a work in our hearts. So if there's not a generosity in your heart, make it a matter of prayer. Because there should be. Because if the Spirit of God lives in you, He is a very generous Spirit. God is generous. God lavishes love on us. He gave His one and only Son. Jesus was generous. Paul tells us in Second Corinthians chapter eight. He became. Poor, so we might become rich. They are generous. And again, it goes beyond money. And it's about whether or not we trust that God is our provider or not our provider. It's whether or not we trust that we have enough money, we have enough time, we have enough ability, and we can give because we know that God blesses those who give. This isn't a prosperity gospel, you have to give in order to get, but God takes care, and I'm going to show you through the life of George Mueller in just a second. That God takes care of those who learn to give. Not so that they can spend more, but so that they can give more. That's good. So giving is supernatural. Number two, giving is genuine. We have to see giving as genuine. It has to be willing. It's not a command. Many are looking for a New Testament command to tithe. And I, I promise you, those that are looking for it wouldn't tithe even if they found it. That's how I feel. Uh, I could be wrong on that. But people who are just generous by nature give even above and beyond 10%. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. I, I challenge you, study what the Scripture says about giving, about offerings, about tithing, and then whatever you discover from the Scripture, not whatever you feel like, But whatever the scripture shows you, whatever you get revealed to by the Holy Spirit as you read that book, then you do that accordingly. Okay, It has to be genuine. It starts in our hearts supernaturally, but it has to continue in our hearts to be genuine. Number three, giving has to be seen as expressive. Paul says we give ourselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to others. You cannot love in isolation. Love has to, by nature, have an expression. We cannot love God just by being in relationship with Him. We've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. The love we have for God is seen in the overflow of the love we have for other people. So if I claim to love God, but I'm a jerk to people on earth, my love for God is not right. Because as I love Him, as He puts love in my heart, it expresses itself In the way that I treat other people. And so Paul says, this church, they gave themselves to the Lord. They surrendered themselves to him fully. And then as a result of that, from the will of God, they gave to others. James chapter 2, verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. And so in order for us to be able to give beyond ourselves, we have to understand it's supernatural. We have to understand it's genuine. We have to understand it's expressive. It needs to be done, if you will. But number four, I believe giving has to be seen as persevering. Persevering. Over and over, Paul says, finish what you started. Finish what you started. You were the first to give, you were the first to desire to give. Don't leave this unfinished. Here's the thing we've been talking about how we're tied to the heritage of our church. Our church was one of the first to give. Okay? Back in the day, we used to give out awards in South Dakota to the, the top missions giving church in the state. Okay? In 1955, we received at Huron First at First Assembly of God, it was actually Huron Gospel Tabernacle back then, the number one in the state of South Dakota, missions giving, 1955. Praise God. Little town here on South Dakota top missions giving church, 1955, for 18 straight years, until 1972. They were the top giving missions church in South Dakota. 18 years. They were one of the first to give. They were expressive and energetic in giving. We need to finish what they started. And it's not about certificates. It's not about being the top church. It's about making sure we value it the way they valued it. They didn't do it so they could get some flimsy piece of paper. I had to really dig to find these, by the way, and I should be careful with them because they're very old. And so they didn't do it for that reason. They did it because missions was in their heart and they knew that God had it in his heart and it wasn't enough just to reach the people in our city. He knew that we were called to partner with others to reach people around the world who've never heard the gospel. That needs to be in our hearts too. We need to finish what we've started. I believe we're tied from the past to the present. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39 says, "'After all of these people of faith are listed, "'these were all commended for their faith, "'yet none of them received what had been promised, "'since God had planned something better for us, "'so that only together with us would they be made perfect.'" God has had a plan for the city of Huron from day one. And he has other churches in this community that are fulfilling part of that plan. But he has had a plan for this church from its founding. And he knew the beginning from the end. And he has run an accord through it. And every one of us is a part of it. And we're tied together in it. And as goes one part, as goes all the parts. We are in this thing together. And I believe if they can look down from, from heaven today, they're cheering us on just like the, the people in Hebrews chapter chapter 11, saying, run, run, finish what we started, do better than what we did. And the idea that, oh, well, but we're just such a small church. What can we do? I mean, we don't have a lot. If giving is supernatural, open your eyes and say, God, I'm going to give what I have. But if you give me more, I'll give that too. That's how you give beyond your ability. It's not about just what I can do. The apostle Paul clearly says here, do not give your rent check to missions don't. I mean, if God tells you, you better be really sure that God's the one that said write that check. But don't let guilt or emotion. You have to be practical in this, too. But be led by the Spirit of God. And don't expect just because my my income is small means I can't give. I've watched teenagers raise ten thousand dollars by themselves for missions. Don't tell me it can't be done. If we open our eyes and trust that God can do anything, that's the recipe for generosity. Look at the Macedonian church. They gave beyond their ability, but they were facing many troubles. In many troubles, they had abundant joy. Think of the words of the Apostle James, consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds. I believe because of their many troubles, it led them to extreme poverty. They faced hardship because they were being persecuted financially. I mean, some of us complain about the government and how we're being robbed and our 401ks. Can I tell you, even in extreme poverty, it can overflow to rich generosity. If you get your eyes off of what's around you and you get your eyes on the one that supplies more than you can even imagine. Amen. That's pretty good stuff. The Greek word for extreme poverty is the Greek word for the highest degree of something. Think about that. Their poverty was to the highest degree and they gave more than they could. They shocked the apostle about what he did. When we read Draw the Circle over the next 40 days, you're going to hear a lot about a guy by the name of George Mueller. But I want to share just a a story from the Story of God Bible Commentary. If you're looking for a good commentary, by the way, the Story of God Bible Commentary is fantastic. But they write about George Mueller. If you've never heard about him, listen, listen to this. He was a most unusual man a great man of God, George Mueller is said to have supported more than 2,000 orphans. It's also estimated that God gave generously gave George Mueller the English equivalent of about $7.2 million. Okay, he gave George Mueller $7.2 million. Listen, born in Prussia, now Germany in 1805, Mueller has been called the Prince of Intercessors. He opened the Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England, which became known as the miracle of the 19th century. Everything Mueller did was rooted and watered in prayer. He searched the scriptures daily for promises from God, and praying with his Bible open, he trusted God to supply all his needs. He never made requests for financial support to people, nor did he ever go into debt. Yet he cared for 10000 24 orphans in his lifetime. He started 117 schools to provide Christian education for over 120,000 young students. Now, I'm not saying you should never ask for money. He and his wife personally traveled across the globe as missionaries to preach and teach the Christian gospel. Even so, Over a 60-year time period, he gave away over 80% of what he received as personal support, helping to sustain foreign missionaries in China. Mueller lived in a spirit of prayer, and neither he nor his family nor any of the orphans lacked for any good thing. How good the Lord has been to me, he said. As an example, this is a recorded story in his journal. One morning, the plates and cups and bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the larder. There was no money to buy food. The children were standing waiting for their morning meal when Mueller said, Children, you know we must be in time for school. Lifting his hand, he said, Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. There was a knock on the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and I have brought it. Mueller thanked the man. No sooner had this transpired when there was a second knock at the door. It was the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had just broken down right in front of the orphanage and that he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so he could empty his wagon and repair it. People like George Mueller love God first. Then they're prudent, loving stewards of God's resources, and this servant joyfully gave away all that he could, and he was such a blessing to a hungry, lonely world. In his words, it is the Lord's order that in whatever way he is pleased to make us his stewards, whether as to the temporal or spiritual things, if we are indeed acting as stewards and not owners, he will make us stewards over even more. Even in his life as to temporal things, the Lord is pleased to repay those who act for him as stewards and who can contribute to his work or to the poor as he may be pleased to prosper them. But how much greater is the spiritual blessing we receive both in this life and in the world to come if constrained by the love of Christ we act as God's stewards, respecting that with which he is pleased to entrust to us. See, the testimony of George Mueller is amazing. You'll read more of it in, if you redraw the circle with us. I love his testimony, but I do not believe it's an exceptional testimony. I believe it's supposed to be an ordinary testimony in the kingdom. If you and I catch the same vision that George Mueller had, you and I can learn to give away 80% of our income too. You and I can learn to rely upon the Lord for a knock on the door when there's no food. But we have to get out of our our mindsets and believe that giving is supernatural. We have to believe that giving is genuine, that giving is expressive, that giving is persevering, and we have to believe that giving is experiential. That's my last point, by the way, for those of you that are nervous. Giving has to be experiential. For the Hebrew, you don't know something until you experience it. The word yadah in Hebrew is the word to know. Adam, yada knew his wife Eve, and they had a son. That's an experience, amen? Okay, you're catching it. You do not know God unless you experience God. Unless you come into relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 3, I want you to know the love of God. He's not saying, I want you to intellectually fathom the love of God. He's like, I want you to be overwhelmed with the love of God, so much so that what flows out of you is the love of God to other people that is not human. It's supernatural. Because that's what people need. People that are broken and hurting don't need just cliche phrases. They need the love of God to ooze out of us onto them. It has to become a supernatural thing. He ties it in verse 15, chapter 8, verse 15. It seems so random. Out of nowhere, he's talking about this gathering. What is he talking about? He's pointing him all the way back to Exodus where they gathered manna. If we would learn to read the scripture like a Hebrew, man, we would understand stuff that's crazy. Anytime you see an Old Testament reference, go back and read the Old Testament reference that goes with it what he's talking about is the manna that was gathered. And if you remember, the manna was given not so that they would just have something to eat, but so that they would recognize that what they get to eat doesn't come from their own hard work, but it comes from the hand of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's the point of the manna. And the reason that most of us only give so far is because we don't recognize that what we have isn't really ours. It comes from Him. And if we learn to funnel it, we learn to give, God will give more. Not prosperity's sake. Not so that you can buy a bigger house and a bigger car. Not so that you can live at high on the hog, but so that you can give more. You can be George Mueller. But here's the thing. You're not going to start giving 80% of your income. Here's the thing, you're not going to give 80% of your income until you start giving 10% of your income. And you have to start documenting what you're giving. A faith promise is about documentation. It's about getting my own testimony with the Lord. It's about saying, okay, God, how much could I give? And as I look at my income, how much could I give? Can I give five bucks a month? Can I give 10 bucks a month? Can I give 50? Can I give 100? What can I give every month? without even really doing too much to my budget what could i give and then it's looking at it and saying could i sacrifice something like if i if i decided to make a lifestyle change just just a small one how much more could i give as a result of that and then at the end of that it's praying and saying lord could could i put something down on paper that you put in my heart And a dream that I could do something that you're going to supply for. And if you don't supply it, I can't give it. Some people don't like to do that. You'll never be a George Mueller if you don't learn to take a step of faith out of the boat. And so we ask people to fill these out and turn them in because as a missions committee, we like to look at them. So we know, one, how to pray for you. Because we want you to take a step of faith that's bigger than you. And we want to pray for you that God brings it to pass. But number two, we have to question how many missionaries can we take on? And so we use this as a resource to try to figure out how much. And I and I know you're like, well, what if it all doesn't come in? Yeah, we ask ourselves that question, too. But sometimes it's a step of faith. I remember I was at a district council one time and our missions account was in the red. It's mostly always in the red. Um, and they they Pastor Traub stood up and they gave this plea for Teen Challenge and they're like, you got to give to Teen Challenge. Uh, they're behind. They're in our backyard. This is our this is our Samaria. This is right here. We we've got to give to them, pastors. Uh, I'm not going to hold you to it, but make a pledge. Put some. The Lord's going to put something in your heart to give. Um, just do it. And if you go back and your missions committee says no, you're off the hook. And I'd never done that before. So I'm I'm like 23 years old. I'm a senior pastor for the first time, and I'm like, all right, Lord, we'll we'll give them 50 bucks a month. I don't know where we're going to get that from. And I remember sitting at the table with the missions committee, like nervous, shaking. Um, And I'll never forget Ivan Wall sitting across the table from me. Remember Ivan, the intimidating guy with the finger that wouldn't bend and he would poke. And uh, we've talked about him this month. And I said that we were going to give $50 a month. And he's he's the chairman. And after I talked, he said, well, if the pastor feels like we should do it, I guess we're going to do it. He's like, I don't know where that's going to come from, but let's pray. (laughs) I'm like, Let's pray. We started doing it for two months. Someone stopped our secretary in the in the uh, our mission secretary in the lobby one day after church and said, "Oh, I forgot to tell you. About two months ago, the Lord put on my heart to give fifty dollars to missions um, that I've been putting in extra every month, and I wanted to go to Teen Challenge. It already was, and we just didn't know. Like that's a faith promise." I have no idea where this is about to come from and we may not be able to finish it and follow through on it but who knows god might just show up in a way that rocks your socks off but if you don't document it you're not going to know I mean I know I'll, I'll give as, as I, I'll give as I feel led to give praise god that's a good thing to do but if I never document and say god I'm going to trust you for something bigger this year because you need because people need it It's not so we can have a bigger building. It's so more people can go on the field to people who've never heard. And yes, our missions account's always in the red because I'm always telling the board, we we need to take this couple on. They're South Dakota. They're us. They're our 605 family. We'll be taking you on. I don't know how, but I know we will. Because this is who we are as a church. And sometimes we have to take a step of faith, but we can't do it alone. We need each and every one of you. So these are out there and they've been out there for a couple weeks. Take one with you. July the 9th is when we'd like to have them back. Fill it out. Put it in there. If you don't want to put your name on it, I'd love for you to put your name on it. You don't have to put your name on it, but at least put a number on it because we're going to pray for these cards and we're going to ask God to do even more. I mean, I asked you guys to fill out $5 envelopes so we could give $1,000 to people. And we're already at $1,500 and we have a month to go. This is a generous church. It always has been. It's in our DNA. You might not even know it, but I think there's a spiritual generosity that just attaches to you when you come here. Praise God. Some of you might have been generous when you got here. But there's always more. We can stretch ourselves more because there's more out there that needs to be done. And so I know, I know I've gone a little over. I know I've challenged you quite a bit today. But I want to encourage you. I believe the life of George Mueller should be, it should be more common than it is. It should be more common than it is. I have personal friends that give 90% of their income to missions and live off of 10%. And I'm always amazed by them. But you, you have to start somewhere. It starts at the 10% and it just builds and it grows. And it takes, it takes risk. I hate risk. I'm a blue. I'm a type A. I got to see it all. I got to know it all. I got to have the bottom line. I've got to have the budget, but I serve a God that says, step out and see if I don't meet you there. Amen. That's some good stuff. All right. We got to pray because I got to let you go. Oh, heavenly father, thank you for the work that you've done for us. God, thank you that you are a God who lavishes. On us, God, there's always enough. There's always enough. There's always enough peace. There's always enough hope. There's always enough joy because you are the God of more than enough, always. In our moments of frustration, despair, lack, teach us to get our eyes off of what we can see and get our eyes upon you, to trust you, God, I pray for this body over these next few weeks as each of us begins to contemplate what we can do in this coming year for missions. God, stretch us, challenge us. I pray that you'd speak with such clarity over these next few weeks. God, about what we can afford. God, I don't want anyone today to put themselves in hardship. I don't want anyone to not know where next month's rent is going to come from because they gave it in this offering. But God, I want faith to to be stretched beyond what we believe is possible. I don't want us to look around and think, we're just such a small church. What can we do? I want us to get our eyes up. I want us to get our eyes to where our help comes from, to the one who provides. Because we don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that proceeds from your mouth. So God, speak a word over the hearts and the minds of every person in this room. God, stretch us in ways we've never dreamed possible over these next few weeks so that missionary couples like the Lopers and those that are going to come after them. God, this has been a year like no other year in South Dakota of missionaries that have come through our doors from South Dakota that you've called to the field. And God, at the beginning of this year, I, 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 as a pastor, I didn't know where it was gonna come from, but you've supplied every time. And I ask you, do it again. Do it again. So we can finish what was started in 1955. So we can take that baton and we can run with it. God, because people matter. Because the gospel has to get out. God, thank you for Ben and Carly. Thank you for their willingness, God, to step out of a great life into an even greater one. God, I pray your blessing over them, over their children. God, I pray for just the windows of heaven to open over their lives. God, that they're able to to meet this budget, to meet this goal. God, that they're able to be on that plane in August. God, do things that we can't even imagine. Give them the perseverance they need, God, over this last stretch. To see it to completion. And God, to be able to do everything that you've called them to do. Thank you for the work that you've done in their lives. In our lives today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, don't forget to stop by the table in the lobby before you leave today. If you want to give an offering to the Loper specifically, there's a basket in the hallway. Uh, You can give online by choosing guest speaker from the the drop-down funds, and that can be how you give today. Thanks for being here. Don't forget to take a faith promise card with you as you go as well. God bless you as you go.